Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Great to see you this morning. You may have a seat. And if you've got a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn with me to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. Once you get there, you can keep going a couple of chapters till you get to chapter 37, and you can stop there. Genesis chapter 37. My wife, if you don't know her, who read scripture this morning, as I was talking about, Mandy, we're starting a new series this week. I hope the first week goes well. And she said, well, all you can do is preach the word of God with authority. And I said, that's right. I'm just the delivery man. So as we get here, we need to ask God to bless the delivery of his word. So let's pray together. Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to be in verse 1, looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. But let's stop and ask for God's blessing through his spirit on his word. God in heaven, thank you for the many that have gathered here this morning, that have gathered to worship you, some, others to peer in and look in at what this is all about and to contemplate what they're seeing and what they're hearing. So God, I pray for the one that's here to worship you, that they would do that. And I pray that the one that is here looking in today would become a worshiper of you. We know that your word has the ability to do that. It's not any magical things that we say, but it's your word blessed by your Holy Spirit speaking directly to us. So God, we pray that as your word is delivered today to our ears that you would free us from distraction so that the Holy Spirit takes it from our ears to our hearts, that we would respond in repentance and belief whether we know you or not, and that we would leave this place changed, living on mission together. So Father, we ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. If you agree with me on that, would you say amen? amen? All right, Genesis chapter 37, as we begin this new series called Joseph, Evil for good. How many of you, just by a raise of hand, have a family member or maybe yourself or someone that's close to you that has some kind of variation of the name Joseph? Maybe it's a first name, maybe it's a middle name. Yeah, some of you, that's, it's a very popular name and rightfully so. Uh, my name is Bradley Joseph Pawsley. Bradley meaning broad meadow, which is very special to me and to my parents because I was born in a meadow. You didn't know that, did you? No, it has no significance, but that's what it means. <laughs> Joseph meaning God sends. Now, I'm named after my dad. His name is Charles Joseph, and uh, we share a common middle name together. My brother Chuck is fully named after my dad. His name is Charles Joseph. My brother John is also named after my dad. His name is Jonathan Joseph. And my sister Amy is also named after her dad. Her name is Amy Jo. And get this, my mom's name, Linda Jo. Can you imagine that date that they were on talking about middle names? It's like, wait a minute, your middle name's Joseph, my name's Jo. Let's name all of our children with that name. I said to dad one time, I said, dad, it's kind of weird. You're not like George Foreman. Why did you give us all Joseph? 
And he said, well, I didn't want Chuck to only have my name. And I was like, it's okay. It would have been cool. I get it. But that's uh, how that story came about. So yes, Joseph, not after the biblical Joseph, but after my dad and probably in a roundabout way after the biblical one as well. But it's a beloved story. If you've grown up in church at all or you've even heard about church, perhaps you've heard about this beautiful unfolding story in the life of Joseph. Joseph actually holds more content in the book of Genesis than anyone else. He has more content than Noah, more than Abraham, more than Isaac, and more than his father, Jacob. This is a very important story that many of you love and perhaps is your favorite character and favorite story in the Bible. And maybe some of you don't know anything about Joseph. I'm really excited about that. So let's look together at Genesis chapter 37 verses 1 through 4. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Joseph. You'll see that several times throughout the book of Genesis. When you see that, it means we're moving into a new era or a new section in this, and we're moving into the story of Joseph. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended his sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bil Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to his father. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than his own sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. If you got to understand the story of Joseph, you need to understand a little bit of the context that Joseph is living in. It's pretty crazy. I mean, Jerry Springer would love to have a hold of Joseph's story. It's wild. His dad is an absolute mess. And I wrote something up here to help us understand this just a little bit more of where Jacob, where Joseph is living in the house of Jacob, his dad. And I would imagine with me just for a moment, let's say that I didn't know it, but Jacob, who's Joseph's dad, comes into my office for a counseling session. And maybe it'd be something that would go like this. A man walks in with a limp, his hair a yellow-gray, his face worn from the hot sun, showing that he's been through a lot in his lifetime. And he sits down on my couch and I say, go ahead, unpack your story for me. Tell me about yourself just a little bit. And he says, well, I grew up in a home where my father played favorites. Because I wasn't an outdoorsman, he would put me down. He didn't spend much time with me at all and I was kind of a mommer's boy. Since my brother was favor, favored over me, we had a little bit of a falling out. So much so that my brother wanted to kill me and I had to run from home and live away from home in fear for many years. Interesting, I say. Please, uh, tell me more. Well, he tells me about two sons that he has that he absolutely adores, but lost one of them to an animal in a freak accident. He only has one now, but uh, his, actually that mother of those two sons has already died during childbirth, leaving this man a widower. He tells me he doesn't trust the remaining sons that he has and thinks the other boys have something to do with the death of his son. And I stop him and say, wait a minute, hold on. What are these other boys you're talking about? I thought you had two sons. And he says, oh, no, 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 I actually have 12 sons. Ten of them are from another marriage. Well, six of them are from another marriage. Two of them were from my first, wife's, my first wife's housemaid, and two of them were from my second wife's housemaid. 
Now, don't get any wrong ideas, Pastor. They were in on it. In fact, it was their idea, right? This is what he's telling me when he's across from me on the couch. And my marriage was a bit of a doozy. I liked a girl. Her dad tricked me into marrying her sister. Then both sisters became my wife. So the 12 sons are cousins and also half-brothers. Anyway, my wife is gone. I'm a mess, and I have no food. And it's this point where I look down the hall and I go, Trent, got a counseling case here for you. Could use a little biblical counseling help here. He gets up to leave, and he asks, and he, I, see, I noticed the limp, and I said, what's the limp from? And he says, well, it's an old wrestling injury. And I said, what's your name, man? Jacob. But God calls me Israel. Crazy. Your family, you might feel like, is dysfunctional, but it's nowhere near the dysfunction of Joseph's family. And in the midst of this dark account throughout really the whole book of Genesis, in this dysfunctional family shines a bright beacon of light in the person of Joseph. He's certainly someone that we can learn from. And in fact, the Bible tells us that the scriptures are written partly so that we look at people in the Bible and learn from them. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. This is what it says. These things happened... So that to, uh, to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So we see here that this part of the reason the Bible was written was for us to look at people and to learn from their examples. And what will we see? Examples of integrity in the life of Joseph. This is what you'll see throughout this story. How to handle rejection. Anyone ever been rejected before? How to win and actually have victory over sexual temptation. Anyone ever been sexually tempted? How to work hard even when the situation you're in isn't what you desire. How to wait on God. Anyone ever had to wait on God before in a place in your life where you just felt like nothing was happening? How to be a good leader. How to exercise forgiveness and how to have faith in God. Joseph is going to show us all those things. He's a biblical hero indeed. Don't you love heroes? Man, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Rocky Balboa. That was my desire. I dressed up for him as Halloween. We, my brothers and I made a cardboard cutout of Rocky versus the Russian, and we'd stick our faces in it and have people take pictures with it. And I remember at the end of Rocky IV as a little boy hearing Rocky's speech and being translated by the Russian and bringing everyone together. You know, isn't that a point for our time right now? And I remember memorizing the speech and my brother would act like he was the translator and we would have a blast with this thing. I wanted to be him. I wanted to be the hero that brings everyone together. When I would be out on the basketball court playing basketball outside by myself, I wasn't Michael Jordan. I was the guy that helped Michael Jordan, right? Have you been there before in your daydreams? Like Michael Jordan is struggling on the court with Chicago Bulls, and all of a sudden he decides the best option is to pull someone out of the crowd to help him. Yeah, I had that daydream. And he pulled me out of the crowd. And I went, and I was playing around as a boy, and I would go, three, two, one, and shoot, clang. And then it was, he was fouled. He gets another opportunity. And then won the game. Michael Jordan celebrating his hero, Brad. We all long for a hero, don't we? 
I mean, kids dress up as Iron Man, as Spider-Man. We all long to be heroes. But we could miss the point of reading the book of Genesis if we think the point is this. I'm to be a hero like Joseph. Now, so often I think we've heard it taught that way and we've read it that way like I am Joseph. We love to insert ourselves in the story and think I'm him and if I be like him, I can save the world. But that's actually not. We do that with all the biblical characters. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? Like you look at David and, the Goli- and Goliath. How do you think about that? I need to be like David and kill the giants in my life and save everybody. But let me tell you that that's actually not the meaning of this story. Yes, Joseph is one that we are supposed to emulate, to live like, but the goal is not to be like Joseph ultimately. Here's why. First of all, it's recorded of Joseph and two other people in the Bible that they did nothing wrong. There's never any explicit sin found in the, in the life of Joseph. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't a sinner. We believe and we know that he was. But only three people are mentioned in that. Joseph, Daniel, and the other one is Jesus. And you're not any one of those. All right? So your goal is not to be any of those people. You are not the hero. It's been famously said, you're not David. You're also not Joseph. So when you read these stories, you don't go, okay, I need to be like Ruth. I need to collect wheat and get a man. That's what Ruth does. That's not the point of that story, okay? The goal is not to be like the hero ultimately. Then what is 1 Corinthians 10 all about? These things happen to them as examples. They're written for our instruction. Well, this isn't talking about a good thing. Do you know what 1 Corinthians 10 is talking about? It's talking about when Israel made a calf and worshipped it and did all kinds of heinous acts together. That's what it's talking about here. He's not saying, they're telling you, learn from the biblical examples and don't be like those people. Because you are not Joseph. You're supposed to relate to his brothers. They hated him. Because that's more you than Joseph. That's jealous. That sold him. You're to relate to the cupbearer that gets all the stuff that works out in his life and forgets about Joseph. And the reason why this is so important, because we want us to see the historical reading. What were the actual people in Genesis thinking about when they heard the story of Joseph? They would have all heard it before it was written down. But Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, he loved Joseph And they would have heard a bunch of moral lessons, and they all would have, yes, wanted to be like Joseph, but they didn't see that as the main point. No, when they heard this read, they saw a story of God's work of redemption in their nation. They saw a story of God keeping his promises to to their father Abraham, even when everyone else was screwing up and messing up. So here's what I want you to catch this morning is this. God is the hero in the story of Joseph. God is the hero in the story of Joseph. Moses is recording these things and showing us that God is always working behind the scenes. He doesn't have any speaking parts in this story, but he is always present He's preserving his people. He's bringing about his purposes for their good, for our good, and for his glory. So the subtitle of 
this series is evil for good. And that's taken from a famous verse in Genesis 50, where, where Joseph ends it up and says, What you intended for evil, God meant for good. We're going to see throughout this passage that God uses the regular stuff of life. When it feels like he's not present, when situations are terrible, God continues to work. And he worked in Joseph's, Joseph's life to bring about his plan, and he's working in yours too. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Even when it feels like God is not present or maybe absent altogether, he is still working. He's bringing about his plan in the world, and he's using world powers like even Putin to bring about his purposes and to bring about his purposes in your life. We also see here that Joseph is, does give us a lot of moral lessons, but he is an example of one who brings about salvation through being a faithful servant. Scholars say this, they call this in the Old Testament, when you see people that look like Jesus, they're called types of Christ. Which means that when you look at Joseph's, Joseph's life, it parallels very closely to Jesus' life in many ways, pointing us to a Savior. So don't see yourself as Joseph, but see yourself as a family in a nation that needs saving, looking to Joseph as that hero that represents Jesus. So our goal for this whole text, this whole story, is to get a bigger vision, a bigger picture of God. Some of you have a God that's very small. A God that fits neatly into your little box. A God that you can have on Sundays and needs separate from the rest of your life during the week. I want us to see as this story unfolds that your vision of God needs to be expanded. My vision of God needs to be expanded. And so as we look today, we're going to look at a life in these 11 verses, the danger of diminishing God in your life and what it leads to. Jacob had diminished God in his life and what it led to, we find in verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was the son of him born in his old age and he made a robe of many colors. Does this say that on that one? I don't know if it says, it says that in mine. He made a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak to him peaceably. When you lose sight of the God, you will set your sight on a God. Did you catch that? When you lose sight of the God, the God of the universe, when he is diminished in your life and becomes very small, you will search for another God. You and I were created for worship. That's what we're made for. So we're always going to be living for something. So when it's not God who is big and vast and amazing, when it's not him, we'll look for something lesser to be the God in our lives. And you'll see that in the life of Jacob. Jacob, you can relate to him, can't you? Maybe not fully, and I hope not fully. And if it is fully, there's hope for you still, okay? But you look at the life of Jacob, and it seems like he always wanted to follow God, but he's got this continual struggle to keep God in the forefront of his life. He's got competing gods always present. 
He struggled with looking for prominence. Do you want prominence? A position of authority? That people look at you and say, wow, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that lady. They're a powerful person. And he strove for this prominence because he wasn't the firstborn. He decided to deceive his brother Esau and steal his birthright. Living up to his name of Jacob, which meant deceiver. And he was trying as much as he could to gain a place of prominence. Even deceiving his father Isaac when he was blind in his old age. He lost sight of the God and was searching for a God in prominence. To be known. To have influence. Man, I struggle with that one. I can easily, when I I lose sight of God and looking and saying, I'd love to be some kind of influential person, even in a good way. You know, and there's so many pastors that use, that lose sight of God and use their ministry as a place for prominence and forgetting why they're really there. And it's a real struggle and it's a struggle for your life as well. When you lose sight of the God, you will search for a God and maybe it's a relationship Oh, Jacob comes upon Rachel. He's fixated on her. He wasn't going to be content, wasn't going to be happy until finally he got her. And it took a very long time. But his focus had shifted from the God and Rachel became his God. Obsessed with a relationship. That's the only way he'll be content. The only way he'd be happy is if he had her. Oh, and what a disaster that is when we make a relationship, a person, the actual God over our lives. Searching for these things. He was looking for it. And now Rachel is gone. She has died, giving birth to his final son, Benjamin. And now his focus has shifted not back to God in that time, but now to his beloved son, Joseph. Joseph had become a small God in the eyes of Jacob. It says that he was a son that was born to him in his old age. That's a special phrase, isn't it? If you know anyone or you've had a child that comes later in life, there's something special about that to a parent. The parent has more money now in that moment. Dad now has a boat that he can take that child out in that he couldn't take the other ones out in. Dad is now able to say, I'm going to undo everything I did wrong before and do it right with this one. And maybe he's thinking a little bit, old dad still got it, right? He's thinking these things and he's like, wow, this is the son who now I can do everything for. And he is the favorite son of mine because he was born from Rachel and not my wife that I didn't like, Leah. And he showed him favoritism by how he dressed him, this 17-year-old son, Joseph. The text says uh, that it was a multicolored robe. How many of you have colored a picture before of Joseph in a multicolored robe before? Right? Maybe you've, you've seen that. You've seen your kids have brought one home before from class. Uh, I don't want to break anyone's dreams or spoil anyone here, but it actually probably wasn't a multicolored robe. All right, that's actually uh, a translation from the Septuagint, which is a Greek rendering of a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's how they actually did that. And actually, if you look at the Hebrew, more of what it means is a long robe that came down to the arms and came down to the legs. 
R. Kent Hughes says the coat was well-colored, probably, and ornamented, but likely the term speaks of a long-sleeved coat that reaches his wrists and ankles. Here's why that coat was so important and why it represented favoritism. This is what that coat meant. Jacob was telling Joseph and everyone else, you're not going to work like everyone else. I'm going to give you a long cloak and you don't work in a long coat. It also meant that that Joseph was about to receive a double inheritance. Now, Reuben was the oldest son of of, uh, Jacob, but he forfeited his inheritance by uh, doing some inappropriate things with one of Jacob's wives. But he skips over everyone else and moves directly to his 11th eleventh son, his 17-year-old son, Joseph. Now listen to this. Favoritism is the overflow of losing sight of God, and it will destroy your family. Favoritism will destroy a family, and favoritism happens when you replace someone or something with God itself. It says the brothers couldn't even speak peaceably to him. Favoritism in the workplace, if you're a boss, ruins relationships. It means that even when, Jacob, when Joseph tried to speak kindly to his brothers, they wouldn't even hear him or give him a chance. And this wasn't Joseph's fault. It was his dad's because his dad had lost sight of the God and had made Joseph a God in his life. Well, it's about to get a lot worse. Look at verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Verse 6, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. There were binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 9. Then he had another dream and he told his brothers, look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you've had? He said, Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So Joseph has these two dreams. Both of them had the same outcome. First, he sees stacks of hay. And he says, my stack of hay and your your brothers, their stacks of hay are going to bow down to mine in this dream. Secondly, he says, there was a bunch of stars, and I was the biggest star. And all you brothers of mine bowed down to me. Now, if you already hate this guy, how's that going to go for you? It's like, seriously, dude, that's really what you're doing? And it says, his brothers hated him even more. Now, I've wrestled with this text over this week, and as I've done a deep dive into the book of Joseph... And oftentimes, when I've heard this taught, I have heard that Joseph was sinful in this moment. But as I've gotten into it and read some others, I mean, it's torn. There's a reason why we hear that a lot. But I don't think that's the case here. Maybe it was ill-timed. Maybe it was dumb of 17-year-old Joseph to come and tell this truth to his brothers. But I don't think that he was doing it in an arrogant way. Way. 
In fact, I, I agree with what Jen Wilkins says. Is the story of Genesis, Moses is painting a picture of the impeccable character of Joseph. Vodi Bakum says, Moses is painting a picture not of sinless perfection, but that of contrast from his brothers. So really the issue here is that Joseph was going and speaking on behalf of God, because there wasn't a Bible then, that's how God spoke through dreams. And he goes and he tells his brothers these dreams, but since he had already been favored, since he had already been held in greater esteem by his dad than the other brothers, they weren't ready to receive that truth. And dad knows it too. He's like, what are you doing? Why did you go and tell them this stuff? And he isn't happy about it. He said, now I already have a bad relationship with the brothers, and now it's gotten a little bit and much, much worse. But if you look at the very end of chapter 11, what's this, or verse 11, it says, but his father kept this matter in mind. He may have rebuked his son in the moment, but he hid it back in his mind thinking, this is probably true. It's the same type of reference as we see Mary pondered these things in her heart about the things that were said about Jesus. Jacob is packing this away in his mind thinking this might actually be a true reality that God is giving to him. And I want to say to teenagers out there, 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, your life, you might have a lot of different factors that are coming into it. A lot of different things that you aren't in control of. But God's called you to speak the truth. And you can speak the truth and make a difference and speak on behalf of God. And that's what he's calling you to do. And the result might be people might hate you more for it. But I think this took a lot of courage for Joseph to go and say these things to brothers. Listen, his brothers didn't become evil when they heard this message. They were already really evil. A third of them had already killed an entire village. They were sexually promiscuous. They were doing all kinds of evil things, and they weren't ready to hear the truth of God. But Joseph goes and tells them what God had seen. Now, do it wisely, probably not in the same way that he did, but be brave and speak on behalf of God. Now, five different times you'd actually see as we look through this that there is going to be recorded of Moses or of Joseph's brothers bowing down to him. It was going to be a long road until then, and many trials were going to come as a result, but God's going to be true to his word. Listen, God is always going to be true to his word. It might come in a long ways. You might go through some terrible things before that happens, but God is always going to bring about what he says he's going to do. Do you hear that? God is always going to do exactly what he says he will do, even if it's not in your timing, in his. He's always going to bring it about. And so as we look at the story of Joseph, I would love for us as a church to see this as an invitation to have our vision of God expanded. Would that do some good for you? We can all have our vision of God expanded, can't we? Some of us, it's going to be a ton. Some of us, it's going to be a little. But every one of us will benefit in our relationship with Christ if we as a church, not just individually, but collectively come together and say, the Park Church is going to be a church that has a very high view of God. That doesn't say God has to be like me, but I am to be like him. 
And we hold him up together and we let him speak. We let him tell us who he is. And as we figure out who he is and our vision expands of him in the midst of your divorce, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your pain and everything that's going on, you say, God is huge and I can trust him that he's bringing about, evil. He's bringing about good in the midst of all the evil that's around me. The evil that I've done, yes, your sin, God is bringing about good in that. The evil, the sin that's been done to you, God is bringing about the good in it. And this story is an invitation to say, stop having such a small view of God that fits where you want him to fit, but let him define who he is and let's have our vision expanded together. Can we do that? You with me on that? All right. A little illustration by way of uh, expanding that point. My daughter and I, Ava, we went on a trip together to New York City a few years back. And we saw all the sights that you know you would see in New York City. One of the things that we did was we walked the Brooklyn Bridge. If you've done that before, it's this, this uh, thing that goes up over the cars. It's a sidewalk right in the middle of the bridge. It's elevated up above everyone. How many of you, anyone ever done that before? Yeah, several of you have. And I remember Ava and I, she loves New York. I do too. And we, this is the first time she had been there. And we both walked the Brooklyn Bridge together and we both enjoyed it. We loved it. But I can tell you this. I loved it more than Ava. And she was enjoying it. She thought it was fantastic. We got pictures together on it. But here's why I loved it more. Because before we went there, I had read a 700-page book on the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm a nerd, you know, right? You're like, wow. Of all the things, yeah, it was fascinating. It was amazing. As I heard about the scandal that went into building the Brooklyn Bridge, all the different things that had to happen, the casing that was down under the water that people were dying in because of the pressure under the water, and all the different things that happened, that the, the actual, the, the person who designed and was building the Brooklyn Bridge actually died halfway through it of lockjaw because he stepped on a rusty nail. Like all this crazy stuff, and his son ended up finishing the bridge. So I'm walking, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, this is incredible and she's thinking this is really cool dad but you're like wigging out on it it's freaking me out a little bit I was the total nerd dad in that moment right taking pictures of like the bolts on the bridge and things here's the point we both had a level of enjoyment on that bridge but my vision of the bridge was a lot bigger and so my level of enjoyment was greater now some of you you know God and there's a certain level of enjoyment that you experience. But this is an invitation to have that experience expanded. To know God in a deeper way than you ever imagined and known before. There are people in this room here right now and there's others that are having a different experience than you are because of their relationship with Christ as they've drawn close to him in his word. As they've devoted themselves to his word and they come and they know Christ so well. And it's, it's different. Maybe you wonder, like, why, why don't I worship the same way that person does? Why do I feel like I don't, I don't know God like they do? Because it takes time to do that. But it's possible for you. And this is an invitation to do that. And what's so great about the church of God is that we aren't all in the same place. 
You might know a very little. Maybe your vision will be expanded a little more through this series. You might know a ton. And maybe your vision is expanded a lot more. But I guarantee you this. If you commit to God and you give your time to him, your level of enjoyment in this life, your circumstances might not get any better. But you'll experience life and joy that you've never experienced before. It's an invitation to see how big and how vast God is. And it's an invitation to see Joseph, who was a light in the darkness. But it's an invitation for you and I to look beyond Joseph to the greater Joseph, Jesus Christ. His brothers, yes, will bow down to him, but Joseph himself and everyone who has knees will bow down before Jesus Christ. If you don't have knees, knees will be provided. Because the Bible says every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise of the Father. And so we live in a dark world. But in this world, a light has shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so as your vision has been expanded about God, you will be moved and thrown to Jesus because he is the radiance of God. And as you grow in him, you will see his great plan that he has. That before the foundation of the world, God planned to have his son die for Joseph, his brothers, everyone else that's recorded. For you and I would give up his life in his perfect plan to buy us back from sin and eternal death to be sons and daughters of God. Oh, let's see this perfect plan unpacked together through the life and story of Joseph and in your life as well. Let's pray together.